Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today we're incredibly thrilled to be joined by writer and actor of The Estate, Chris Baker. And I wanted to start by talking about the script writing process because the film visually, you know, there's so many kind of aesthetic details. The location really feeds into a lot of those details as well. Um, and I was interested in what were some of the visual details and aesthetic choices for the film that were elements that you wanted to start threading in and were important to you to include in the script writing process. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, any chance to talk about this movie that I'm so proud of, uh, it's, it's just an honor. Um, so, so thank you, first of all. Uh, with the script writing process, I think um, my director, James Kapner, was involved from the very beginning. And when we were discussing, sort of pitching the idea and the story about this rich family that were killing each other for their inheritance, um, we were already talking about uh, 80s and 90s uh, cinematic influences with the neon, with uh, the crazy costumes, with, with different things that, you know, we hadn't seen in a movie for a while. And I, I think in the script, I never specifically referenced the glow of the mansion, you know, uh, the, the, the house that we found that we shot uh, a lot of the film in is salmon pink. <laughs> and, um, that was just purely luck. And at night, our production designer, uh, uh, Maddie, was able to just make it glow in this, in this very odd way uh, that really entices you and makes you think, what, what is going on in there? Um, but I do remember describing the house many times as sort of decaying, where if you don't look at it for too long, it looks like it's a nice, beautiful house, but you kind of see the dust, you see, these uh, plastic curtains that are that are there where a door should be, you know, th this idea that this rich family was not actually that rich, and they were and they were in trouble, and and they wanted to change their circumstances. Yeah. And in terms of of the house, um, am I right in that it was it was a place that's used a lot for like event locations and and weddings? So was it something where you had to almost dress it down a little bit to get that mix of like, oh, it it clearly was like a really beautiful place at one point, but like you said, you know, just hanging some plastic sheeting and and thinking about some of those details and really having kind of sparse production almost. Yes, uh, it's it's a music video and photo shoot house. Um, I think the biggest thing that has happened there since our movie recently, um, not that our movie was <laughs> such a big production, it was very low budget, but uh, Zendaya was on the cover of W Magazine. They shot it at that house, which is really cool. Um, and so I, I love the idea that I, that I, at some point, shared the same space as Zendaya, even though it was at different times. Uh, but the, the house, I think we, it was totally bare because it's meant to be filled by whatever production wants to fill it with. And, uh, there were yard sales that I heard people went to, but yeah, the, the goal was to keep it sparse and to keep it, uh, uh, decaying. And so adding in like nice furniture, but nice furniture that was put there 20 or 30 years ago that was never touched since and no one even sits in. And in terms of, of narrative structure for the story as a whole, you know, you've kind of kept it very intimate and the majority of the story does take place in that one location where you've really managed to use every room and every corner for still making it feel like we're moving into different spaces throughout the story. Um, you know, and there are moments where we step outside of the house as well. Was that something that was a very conscious thing on your part in writing a story that felt very achievable to tell within independent filmmaking and independent storytelling that could be achievable budget wise for you 
hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't want to do a haunted house movie, but that is a little bit of what this is. It's a, it's a comedic, you know, dark comedy thriller. Um, but there were elements of this house is haunted and the people therein are doing terrible things and manipulating each other. And, and, you know, there, there were dark forces and we felt it on set too. <laughs> so, uh, but for budget reasons and, and the way we conceived the film, we wanted to find a mansion with a tennis court, a pool, a front entrance, uh, uh, multiple great rooms, dining rooms, kitchens. So, so we could, we could make it feel more expansive, hopefully, than, than, it, than a, a typical movie that takes place in one location. Yes. Yeah. And you were mentioning before some of the 80s influences and I, you know, I've heard you reference Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction as, as some of the films. And so how did that for you shape the film tonally? Because like you said, it is kind of this black humor that's kind of diving into some of the violence, but also finding the comedy and the violence to have that very specific place for the audience. Yeah, I think uh, for 80s, it was Heathers and um, and Fatal Attraction for sure. I think... Uh, in the nineties, it was, it was definitely basic instinct, which I think was, I don't know, 91. So maybe that was shot in the eighties still. I don't, I'm not sure, but uh, there was wall street. There's um, you know, there was definitely American psycho, uh, which was set in the eighties, but shot in, I think 99 or 2000 um, and jawbreaker, cruel intentions, wild things about these movies that were about, uh, rich people behaving really badly um, was were all really big influences. And I think uh, we just kind of went into it as like, what if this is the only movie we made? So if we're dressing ourselves in outfits, what are the most outlandish outfits that are still character appropriate that we can put Lux and Georgie, my character in, yeah. that would sort of maximize the potential? What stupid art can we put behind our characters so that when they're talking it you're kind of confused they're like really this is what they this is what they chose or if there was a fight scene like at the end can we you know our director and cinematographer made it a, a one shot that's this one sh uh, single take fight scene with no stunt doubles it's really me and and uh greg finley my co-star fighting it out and throwing things at each other and you know in general it was a, we had a go for broke mentality uh, throughout the whole, the whole process. And in terms of the comedy as well, is that something where when you were writing the script that it was a real benefit in, in not only being an actor, but knowing that you were gonna play the lead role in the film as well, where you could kind of play it, play it off with yourself and, and kind of like really find the performance elements because it feels like a script where you've really, really kind of finessed down to the details. Like there's the moment where, um, you know, your sister's got a knife in front of her face and her whole life is in danger. And her first response is like, not the face because she's a webcam girl. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, hopefully most characters know their bag of tricks. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, actors, they, 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 know, they know what's in their wheelhouse. And I was raised, you know, just kind of making people laugh at the dinner table. And uh, I did a lot of improv and uh, at the Groundlings and at UCB. And I knew that writing sort of uh, a movie that was about horrible people doing horrible things. I like the idea of characters that didn't know that they were funny, 
um, but that were saying things that they believed that for an audience would just be, you couldn't believe what they were saying and you, you had to laugh. So that was where that came from. And I think I never wanted to do like a, you know, like a wink at the audience to sort of let them know, like, we know this is crazy. You know, we know that, that these characters are doing is nuts. So I, I wanted to dig deeper. And I think for people who get the camp and who get the fun of the movie, just, uh, and who might be a little perverted too, they, they really, they really dug in and, and really loved it. So for the script writing process, it was all about tonal balances. And that was not easy. Uh, you know, you, you want to be able to follow these people and if, and if they're so horrible and, and if, and if they're so hard to root for, you may not stick with them for the whole length of the film. And this, in this streaming attention economy, uh, we wanted to make sure we built a film, even though we were released in theaters last fall, we knew that most people would find it on streaming, which is just how the film industry works now. We wanted to keep your attention. So we want to make sure things were moving. And if there were comedic moments that were true to the characters that we could build in, um, we did that so that it could keep going. And it rewards repeat viewings. And, you know, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I mean, there was a, my, the character of Lux who plays my stepmother, who's only five years older than me in the, in the, in the film. <laughs> um, she, there's nothing that I wouldn't write for Eliza Coop. Uh, who played Lux that she wouldn't say, which which I thought as a comedy goldmine, that's just a great you know partner to have for for real. Yeah, it absolutely is. And the scenes between the two of you have such kind of a great sparring dynamic. And you know, it's it's an an odd kind of stepmother stepson <laughs> scenario, but they haven't been that to each other for a long time. And the only connection that they have is just their extreme obsession with wealth rather than an actual real kind of human emotion connection. And it also really feels like a sibling dynamic. Was that part of the influence in how you wrote a lot of the, the sparring and the way that they're really able to just push each other's buttons so instantaneously with each other? Yes. And I think as a, as a gay character, as the main character, a lot of times female characters in movies have quippy gay side characters that are that are just their pals and i remember seeing in those films or tv shows with those side characters i'm like what's their story and and is he just there to be a bitch <laughs> you know from the sidelines what what is happening with the main character i like the idea of flipping that and having her be the one with with the the <laughs> the best quips um I think the dynamic between the two characters is very complicated. I, I think sadly they're all they have until Joe, the hitman, walks into to their life and sort of promises to give them everything that they've been wanting. Um, but I do think that it was important for us to have our own kind of unique, strange chemistry with each other. And when she came in to meet for the role, uh, it was me, the casting director, Donna Morong, the director, James Kapner, and one of the producers, Adam Mikalka. And she walked in, she sat down, she took off her glasses. She was immediately talking about her, her second divorce and how she had to quit Instagram. And, she, and then we were just sparring back and forth, making jokes and making each other laugh. And, she, and, she, and I could see this excitement in her face and I was definitely really excited too. 
she came in for 15 minutes. She left everyone in the room. I forgot everyone else was in the room and they were like, what did we just witness? And whatever that was, that belongs on camera. The role, the role belongs to her for real because we couldn't find someone. And it wasn't necessarily about the chemistry. We couldn't find someone who could deliver that conviction of someone who felt they had been wronged. And Eliza's not like that in real life at all, but there was something about her that we knew she could really sell it. And so that, that was just a joy to, to have sitting next to me, it really was. And with the scenes that you're performing alongside Eliza, where, where you have those great sparring moments, you know, it's a testament to your performances that they feel very improvised, but they weren't, you know, that's just the performance and the delivery. Um, but during filming, you would still kind of take moments and rewrite scenes and kind of change some of the language if you felt like it needed it. Um, you know, what were some of some of the shifts or, or edits that you made within the script or even just ways that you were finessing like, oh, I know how to make this funnier now. And was a lot of that just stemming from once you were all on set together and just seeing what everybody was doing comedically, comedically and what everyone was bringing to the table with their characters. Absolutely. I, I uh, rewrites, uh, I have become very aware. I, I, I've heard that Aaron Sorkin and David Chase and stuff, there, there are people that write scripts where every ellipsis, every comma, every N apostrophe instead of, you know, the full gerund ING uh, needs to be respected at all costs. I do not feel that way. So if there are ways that uh, an actor feels the character would say that feels more natural to them coming out of their mouth. I definitely trust that. Um, uh, that said, I, people really did like the script and like the, the crackling energy of it that, uh, you know, took a long time to refine. And uh, Eliza was just so wonderful. The, the biggest change in the script, other than kind of like making sure we added in something a narrative tidbit or something here and there or whatever uh, was in the first act. Uh, it's the moment that's featured most prominently in the trailer. Um, we felt like everyone agreed to murder a little too quickly in the first cut. <laughs> and uh, we had to go back to shoot a few things. And the scene that we shot uh, that kind of really ties in the whole ethos of the film is when Lux uh, played by Eliza Coop is in the bathtub and she's like, we're white and we're rich. We can kill one guy. And I remember writing that line and I was like, oh God, please let it go right. <laughs> you know? um, and when she said it, I remember uh, the camera guy was shaking and we had to do a couple more takes because he was laughing so hard that he couldn't believe that her selling this line in just the right way where it's something that these characters would believe and also something about our society, especially in America, that uh, is, is actually fairly true, um, unfortunately. And uh, she just completely sold it. So it was, it was the first act setting up the stakes and setting up uh, sort of uh, like when you're, when you're on a roller coaster and you're, you're tick, 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 especially on an old roller coaster, you're going up and you know the drop is coming. We had to get those ticks right. So, so that the audience could be like, oh shit, okay, yeah, we're in, we're in, we're in, yeah. 
I also wanted to ask about the scene where you have um, Eliza's character Lux with your character's father and his turn on is her just naming politicians for him (laughs) (laughs) and just the process of figuring out what are going to be the most comedic names that we can list, like what's going to be the funniest land in terms of all the different politicians that we could mention in this scene. Um, That came from... A, uh, a note that I really, I don't know if it was a producer or uh, an agent or something. Their note was originally that scene, the way that she seduces him in the room uh, to distract him while we prepare uh, to kill him uh, was very porny dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and you couldn't believe that these people were saying this and, and they were fully clothed, but they were sort of, you know, creating these disgusting scenarios. And uh, I believe someone said, you know, it would be better if, if it was not the obvious thing, um, talking about, you know, all the things that, that people talk about in porn. Um, and straight porn too, which is, you know, not really, you know, not really close to near and dear to my heart. So, uh, it was kind of nice to let that go. And, uh, they were like, why don't you find something weirder? And for some reason, um, I was a real political junkie for, for a while. I'm not anymore. I, I think I can't believe how much more time I have in my day without listening to, all the doom scrolling of politics and stuff, but I was still deeply entrenched in it then. And this was in early 2019. And I I just liked the idea that it was about British people uh, and Anglophilia, literally, that was the biggest turn on for for our, uh, uh, my evil father played by Eric Roberts, yeah. (laughs) And you were talking before about some of the beats that you kind of went in and wanted to change a little bit or have a little bit more to this scene. Um, You know, and there's certain things, uh, potentially diving into spoiler territory, there's certain things as well where you've kind of intentionally held back certain details and certain information, like a hitman comes into their lives and doesn't really ask many questions and is like, I'll do exactly what you need. Murder, boom, done. You know, but the payoff comes later on by not kind of having him ask too many questions. Um, And so how did you figure out what are the best details and what's going to work really well? well if we withhold certain things so that then we can kind of play it off towards the ending and it'll make that more of a crux in the story. Well, it seems like everyone in the, every character has a secret and every character except for uh, Heather Matarazzo's character um, uh, who uh, is actually pretty honest about her intentions, but it's everyone is kind of lying in the movie. And I like the idea that the person who seemed most straight ahead was actually the biggest liar of them all. And I also remember just as an audience member, um, sorry, I had to move my my puppy. Um, As an audience member, I just remember that feeling when you're sitting either on your couch or in the theater and the shock comes of of a twist ending. I will always remember that writer's name because I'm a cinephile, but I, and I will always remember that moment for the rest of my life. So I thought to myself, there's so many movies that get made. (laughs) There's so many movies that never see the light of day. And there's so many movies that even if they're good, even if you have a few laughs or if they're thrills, even if they have some good action sequences, you still kind of forget them. And uh, in the thinking of, you know, what if this is the only movie we made? I wanted something that 
whether you liked it or not, you were never going to forget this. So the twist that comes at the end was important for all sorts of reasons. Uh, but I think it's because the story is about a family. And I think because uh, I was the writer and star, and I think, I don't know how many people who watched the film know that going in. I'm sure they've never even heard of me. So, uh, but I, I did like the idea that the classic writer actor thing is like, Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting, a movie I love and an actor I love, but he's from Boston, uh, you know, and really masculine and wears tight t-shirts and is a genius also. <laughs> um, and he gets the girl and uh, he teaches his therapist something about himself. I, I kind of thought that audiences were smart, smarter or, or a little bit more, um, less likely to fall into that sort of trap of like, oh, he wrote himself as a saint. I, I like the idea that Georgie on this trajectory is doing horrible things and kind of every now and then looking cool while doing it and getting more and more confident and then having the rug pulled out from under him. And I, I from a comedic beat, from a story beat, from the, the idea of camp, uh, it was just really fun uh, and kind of like delicious to see people who have kind of a sick sense of humor be like, oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah. Was it a lot of fun in terms of writing and playing a character as well who just has such kind of huge blind spots because he's so kind of centrally focused on his own world, his own bubble and all of the characters are. And so when you were playing with him, playing him in the film, like what was some of the fun that came from that and really just getting to be like, well, he doesn't care about this thing. You know, he's not even aware of that. Like this is his world and this is his bubble and to really be able to play into the comedic force that that creates. Yeah, I think at the beginning, uh, the first act of the film, I mean, it was all shot completely out of order mm -hmm. <laughs> as, as every film is. Um, but I, I, I'm, in the first act, I remember he was more staid and uh, you know, George has to sort of hold himself back because there's a reticence there and, and there's a part of himself that he doesn't want to access. And once he does access it, that was where, for me as an actor, uh, that was really fun. Digging in and uh, kind of relishing uh, in these beats of uh, not only the, the, the physicality of it and kind of walking differently and, um, <laughs> being even more naked than, than I was before, but also those kind of delicious moments of uh, where he's inhabiting more of Lux or he's inhabiting more of Joe. And I wanted it to feel like, uh, like he was trying something on and it felt kind of good. Like, like he tasted blood and it, and it, and it tasted yeah. like really good. Like it woke up all his senses. Yeah. So, yeah. I like the idea that you're you're bringing up with George where, you know, he starts to inhabit certain things of, of the other two main characters, because what's really fun is that you've got this trio of characters. And so you're really able to play around with like the triangulation of that dynamic. You know, at one point, George is closer to Lux. At one point, he's closer to Joe. And that's reflected in terms of performance. There's moments where they have, you know, a, where Lux and George have like mat almost matching yellow outfits, but then he starts dressing more like Joe. Um, and so what, what was kind of like the fun in getting to play around with like that constant triangulation when you have three characters and also the intimacy that then develops for the three of you as performers in working so consistently close with each other on so many scenes. 
Um, well, you know, we just won the lottery with with my two co-stars, um, Eliza Coop and Greg Finley. I'd never met them before. I'd never worked with them before. Um, you know, there were the subject matter of the script, I think, uh, scared a lot of people. And um, I do think that James, uh, our director, his pitch deck with the neon, with the list of influences, with, with the aesthetics kind of like pre-made was so helpful for Eliza and Greg to trust us with, with their vision. We didn't create some sort of like demo reel of what the movie would look like. It was all theoretical and they had no idea how it was gonna turn out. So I think that they took a huge leap of faith on us. And um, I, those, those characters that I wrote, my favorite movies are all about trios. And, and you know, whether it's a romantic comedy or it's a thriller or, you know, it's like Fatal Attraction or, or Basic Instinct. I, I think the idea of shifting alliances is just, uh, I love it because it's on Housewives. <laughs> it's on, you know, it, it's, a, it's a classic thing of, who are you going to believe and who are you going to trust in this moment and how does it best benefit you? And uh, that, that was just a joy to, to write, but for them to perform it and for us to react off each other the way that, that we did, um, that I hope the audience will, will feel as well. That was just so exciting. And when it comes to the costumes and how we were dressing alike in certain scenes and dressing down in other scenes or, or, we were, or Joe and I were both wearing black tank tops or just wherever we were in the story, our costume designer, Coco Regal, um, she was just a genius. You know, I, there was this joy that she had when I was finally murdering people and, and being like a real asshole that she was like, leopard, <laughs> I'm gonna put you in leopard. I was like, okay, great, I'm, I'm in. And there, you know, that primal thing she wanted, the hot pink and the pussy bow on Eliza. I mean, Lux, she's just like an evil blonde Barbie doll. So, so kind of digging into that was just so fun, really fun. And we were, you know, we were talking earlier about obviously some of the budgetary constraints that come with independent filmmaking and some of the ways that you think about storytelling yeah. in that regard that, that feel very achievable on that level. Um, but there's always really great kind of creative problem solving that comes from that or happy accidents of like, well, we couldn't afford this. We went with this and it was actually better. And so what were some of those creative problem solving moments that you had in making this film or happy accidents that actually turned out better because of some of the creative constraints that you had budgetary wise? Ugh, time. It was, it was only time. I think uh, we kept the same number of characters. We, uh, we kept sort of, uh, everything stayed the same. We just never had enough time. So when George seduces, uh, when Joe seduces George, um, that was supposed to be a much longer sequence. And I think for the better, it ended up being like, I think five shots total. And that it was a miracle that we got those five shots in. <laughs> um, there were other times where uh, something that was originally set up to be four or five shots, it ended up being a oneer. Um, and there were other times where we were just running out of time in the day. And an exchange that went back and forth just had to be two lines. That stuff ends up, in my opinion, benefiting the audience. Because if you have nothing but time on your hands, you'll probably end up cutting a lot of that anyway. So I, I think, um, you know, would we have liked a little bit more time? Yes. <laughs> but, 
uh, in general, I think uh, those constraints, like you were talking about, they, they're just so important to getting, I think, getting to the next level of creativity and strength. And that's where, that's where you know you're a screenwriter or that's when you know you're an actor when you only have three takes or, a, you know, our director. That, that's when you know when you can problem solve in those tight situations. Uh, those were moments where we went home totally exhausted, but really happy um, yeah. that, that we had pushed and found that solution. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it really comes across as a film where everybody had a lot of fun in making it. So congratulations on the movie and thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is a joy. Thank you.